0: This is Powers on Policing, the podcast that presents an inside look at the dedicated people who work in the criminal justice system. Your host is Bill Powers, retired state police detective lieutenant, active educator and published author. Hello, this is Jordan Rich, happy to be aboard with Bill Powers. And Bill, you're about to continue the conversation with Paul Joyce, a decades long veteran of the Boston Police Department, who now focuses his time on educating the future generation of police officers.
1: And I mentioned to you before, and I know I've mentioned it in a prior episode, that I didn't really understand community policing or community engagement in the way that you folks have done it until I went to a college in Boston and had to learn how to engage with people. Unfortunately, I had a very good relationship with a lot of the guys on the Boston Police, particularly up in B2. They respected us. We respected them. We worked together very well. But I had to get to know people in the community, in, in the uh, the housing developments, people up in Mission Hill, and then people within my own administration to, to get things to work. And I don't think I ever— was more passionate, I guess. I've changed my word. It used to be another word, and Jordan changed my word for me. But uh, it's um, more passionate about it and loved going to work every day just to be engaged with people. It really is. I wish the people on the other side that don't want to engage would uh, would come to the table and find out who we are and, and who uh, who we really are and not who they people, other people want to perceive us as.
2: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the early days of community policing in the, in the 80s, I don't know that we defined it uh, we we identified it as a philosophy, uh, but that was a little gray. And early on, it was it was hard for us offices to really grasp. What do you mean by community policing? Some offices viewed it as that we're not going to be proactive on on safety issues. And so it, it, I think it got off to a rocky start in probably a lot of jurisdictions. And I remember you know sitting down and you know talking with my partners and others about you know, how do we define it? What is it, what is it we want to accomplish under under community policing? And I think. The first was uh, providing safety in neighborhoods and having strong law enforcement partnerships. We looked at quality of life issues in the neighborhoods. We problem solved with with residents on on the issues that they identified. And then for me, it was also this idea of meaningful outreach to youth. And uh, because you had had to have something beyond law enforcement to really establish that trust in the community where they knew that you were also doing the right thing every day by, by the young people. And, and by the residents, so within that context, it, it allowed us to to really formulate our strategies and then and then carry them out.
1: So, you know, so so perfectly true. But a, a, again, I'm I'm hoping that we get back there, and I'm and I'm I don't think we're ready to transition yet into talking about what you're doing at college on a college level to get people ready to go because as as I said, about our academy was the same when I went to Northeastern as an undergraduate, and it was all book learning. There was no practical application to anything, and the people, quite honestly, that trained us were very good instructors, but they weren't practitioners, and uh, we walked out of the college with our heads in one area and and not really where they they needed
2: to be. Billy, the instructors at the academy level need to be your best officers. It can't be the disgruntled police officer. That is going to hurt the effort in the long run, so you need, I've always felt that Training was the most neglected area within our police organization, but it's also the most important. And, uh, and I also believe that if you're going to change the culture of an organization, it's going to start in that environment. It's going to start with training at the recruit level. It's going to start with how you prepare uh, your first-line uh, supervisors, which is going to be the biggest transition a police officer goes through from police officer to sergeant. You're going to look at creating police officers that become proficient investigators and detectives, and I think one of the biggest areas is police health and wellness. You know, we're looking at police suicides that are outnumbering line of duty deaths. This is one of the major issues in policing now, and it's uh, it's taking care of our it's taking care of our people.
1: Uh, you know, I I was um, I'm not going to say I was slow to the to that the table for that but I do know for with an IACP for example in their training in their in their conference I'm going to say a third to a half of the classes that are taught have to do with officer wellness with with you know it's it's for chiefs and and high-ranking people to, to learn about it to go back and and spread this not you know not not just give it hey how you doing after that you know you're going to be okay okay thanks you know, m- much better monitoring, much better care. And it needs to be done in a way that everybody buys into it and you don't feel because you're involved in a bad incident and, and you want to see somebody that you're going to be sort of, you know, looked at as scans from others. And I, and I don't feel that anymore in, in law enforcement. But I but there was a time that if somebody had to go, you know, have a, a, a what we used to call it a checkup from the neck up, um, that somehow they were a failure. And, and it's not the case. But I, I think from a leadership point, from a, side like you said, sergeants, lieutenants, the new people that are coming in, they need to embrace that and understand what their roles are and not you didn't just take an exam because it's a pay increase, you know, the level of responsibility. Yeah, I, I, think
2: the health and, I think the health and wellness really, it starts at the academy level, and I, and I think we have to really rethink our training methods and, and maybe really focus on this as, you know, uh, recruits run, they do push-ups, they do sit-ups and all of those kind of things, but but there's, but I think the way you describe it uh the young people coming into the academy is this is a balance between the stresses of the job and how to release those stresses in a, in a positive way and we did it with our sergeant's training which was actually looking at individuals who had been on the job from five to 20 years and just re where they were with their health and it got some great feedback from from the, from the officers. but it also shows a commitment by the organization that you care about your people and and that's uh i, I think it especially during this time that is an important message that has to be out
1: there. Yeah, we were able to do that on on my uh, my past employment, employment uh, maybe 20 25 years ago one of our mutual friends, Billy Coulter, was one of the um, you know the leaders in this and now on uh, on the state Police, you get one hour a day. To uh, shop in the SAR, as Stephen Covey would say, I guess to to, to work out to um, in, in in any number of ways that that you want to, but to, to give that opportunity to get out of the mix for for a bit and uh, and work on your 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 physical and your mental well well being, and it's worked out very very well through the years. And yeah, you know, Billy
2: was in that area. Billy was way ahead of his time. Yeah, just as uh, Eddie Smith and the Boston
1: Police exactly. Department was way ahead of his time in knowing the importance
0: of. Taking care of your, your physical and, and your uh, your mental
1: health. Absolutely, and and both beat their heads against the wall, you know, a lot because people above them didn't quite see it that way. But you, think... you can
0: say the same about the military too. We're finally finally coming around mm-hmm. to realizing that PTSD is real and and affecting soldiers as well. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's people who serve, people who are first responders in many respects. Yeah. yeah.
1: And and to, to go a little bit back to what, what Paul said, when, when you're in the academy, you start to think of PT almost as though it's a, a, you know physical training, almost as though it's a punishment. And so when you graduate, you think, no, I don't have to run anymore. I don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> and the, the change over to thinking, no, this is about wellness. This is not about a punishment. It's about helping you mentally and physically get stronger and better and be able to, to cope with a lot of the things that we haven't really looked at in the past as something that needed to be coped with. Yeah, we've 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 come a long way. That doesn't mean we don't have a long way to go. And one thing that I'm always encouraged by like I like teaching legal stuff and we went in the state where all custodial interrogations have to be uh, audio or, or video recorded and I thought that w- that was gonna be hellacious, that guys would not accept that. They embraced it and they loved it. And they still do. It makes for better interviewing, it makes for better concentration. And then we get into the body camps and I haven't met a guy yet that doesn't embrace it. Um, because we want to show who we are and what we do, and not the way we're being portrayed. And in, in I can't tell you how many cases that come into internal affairs where uh, uh, alleging abuse by an officer, usually verbal abuse, and the body cam supports in almost every case. It supports the officer um, because we are doing right, and we're not, we're not the old days. We're not, you know, smack the kid with a stick and send him on his way at all. It hasn't been that way in, in 50 years. But you know, men and women that come on the job. Uh, embrace this kind of stuff because it, it, their mindset about being a guardian, we have to be warriors at time. You have to do both, and academies have to teach you how to be both. But it's, uh, it's more about the guardianship of the people that you protect than it is about uh, the strength that you can uh, exert when needed.
2: Yeah, I mean, policing will test every skill set that you have, and that's really one of the challenges about it, but it's also what is so rewarding about it. And I think we're flexible and adaptable, but I think it's also important to explain why these changes are important to the organization and how they're going to benefit in the long run, both in, in building trust, but also in, in accountability issues. You know, I remain positive, really positive about policing. We're going to withstand this. We're going to, uh, we'll move forward. But, but I just really believe that it's going to be the role of police leaders to to uh, bring us to where we want to be as a as a profession.
1: I couldn't agree with you more, and and maybe this is a good place to transition from as you and I kind of did had, We had parallel careers in, in in similar ways, where we were the practitioners, and then we sort of segued more into the educational end of it, and, uh, and and training. When you were promoted to superintendent, and I know you had you wore a whole bunch of hats under that under that command, uh, but part of it was was the academy and. You know, making making adjustments. Which, which one of the things that, by the way, bothers me is we always have we have to have police reform. We have to have police reform. All my career, we adapt and change consistently and constantly based on changes in the law, changes in what our city uh, uh, elected officials or state elected officials or federal officials, you know, demand that we do or request that we do. So I I, I don't see this as one day where, okay, now we're all going to start reform because the cops have lived in the dark ages for so many years. That's not the way it is. But in in showing constant improvement and and adjustment, um, did you, when you oversaw the academy, did you make some changes or...
2: Yeah. I think I think it's important that in police leadership positions to recognize the shortcomings and be proactive in, in those areas. And like I said, I think training within police organizations is often neglected. I believe it's really important uh, to prepare officers for the challenges and, and the assignments we ask them to take on. So my time at the academy was about rethinking the way that we do training. And like I said, it starts at the recruit level with not only the academic component of understanding laws, but also the practical component of kind of learning by doing, of putting them through exercises that that they're going to experience when they're out in the field. And one of the areas I looked at was rather than sending recruits out with police officers for ride-alongs as they move towards the end of their time at the academy, I wanted them to go out into the neighborhoods with community leaders who would educate them on uh, neighborhoods and the residents and things that were taking place there. If you were relying only on the media for your for how you perceive neighborhoods, that would not be a good thing, and especially housing developments in other places where where uh, they were impacted by gangs, uh, guns, and drugs. So uh, we sent recruits out, not with police officers, but with community leaders to look at the neighborhoods and walk to neighborhoods, and I thought that was a nice start to uh, just reorienting them reorienting them to uh, where they would be working and the challenges within those neighborhoods. I talked about sergeant training, but again, it's going to be the biggest transition a police officer will go through. They go from being one of the guys or gals one day to now the leader, and they play a significant role in, in the leadership of an organization. And I felt that they needed to be removed from the department for a period of time, that they needed to be exposed to the best sergeants that were out there and the best leaders and then, like you said, we included a health and wellness. But, you know, it sounds a little bit corny, but I would talk to police officers, and I talked to my students today about it. Like, I care about you. I want you to be successful. But this is what it's going to take to, to reach that level. And and I think the feedback was good on the the efforts. Same with detective training and, and creating really proficient investigators. The other area that we took on, which was somewhat unique, is we had been going through a criticism from the court system on uh, on how officers testified in court, and they called it test lying and other things. So we actually built a courtroom in the academy, an exact courtroom, and then we would bring officers in to discuss report writing, how to testify, how to look in a professional manner. But what we had assumed is that, for some reason, police officers understood by in court. There was no training. I, know, I was never trained in that area. So we have to really look at what we're asking our officers to do. We want them to do it in the right way, but
1: it's our job to prepare them to do that as well. No, I I, um, I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, where we are now, when you and I were were younger, we were in court almost every day because it was demanded of us to be in court every day because of our arrest, et cetera. And now we have people that are coming into units with great responsibility who have never testified in a case, not because they weren't hardworking, not because they didn't do their job, uh, but because the way the system is set up now, they don't go in and testify. So it's not inconceivable that somebody— is going to take the stand in a homicide case or a serious felony case that has never testified before. That's like getting drafted into the to the uh, major league baseball and not getting to the plate until you're at Yankee Stadium. And and uh, I think we need to start really rethinking the way that we uh, we prepare people in the in the detective units to to testify in court. It used yeah, to be just an assumed. That,
2: yeah, I will say that I had an outstanding staff when I was in charge of the bureau of professional development and we set out arrived to take over the unit i sat with all of them i talked about creating a three year strategic plan and how we were going to achieve it and then you know we were all had our responsibilities
0: we not only had
2: a lot of fun but but i think we achieved every goal that we had set and so it it really was one of the most enjoyable assignments of my career but the importance of it can't be uh, i can't stress the
1: importance of training enough so if we can maybe transition off of this into where you are now in the college setting. And again, thinking back when we were undergraduates and what we were taught and how has that changed our, and how have you sort of taken a role in changing the way that classroom training has you know, brought in some practicality to it so that when people are making decisions about whether they want to be in the criminal justice profession or not, um, they have a pretty good feel for things. And, I, again, I know college for me was always classroom training, and the other stuff was, hey, they'll teach you that in the academy. What kind of innovative stuff is going on now with you and, and with other colleges that you're familiar with to better prepare our our, um, our high school kids who are coming into college who want to be police officers someday?
2: Yeah, I, I think, one, this is—I've uh, enjoyed— I've mentally enjoyed this transition from policing to now helping to develop the next generation of practitioners— but when we look at today's students, you know the challenges of you know that they experienced during the pandemic, and the impact on their educations, and and really the standards that are required for this profession. So within the criminal justice and criminology program, first I have a great faculty. I have a faculty of practitioners and academics, so we have a really nice mix of balancing the academic uh, training, PhD training with practitioner training, and and the students I have. They, they have me for their first course, and, and that is done on purpose to set the expectations for the program, why we do things, and the importance of doing things. And so in, in this program, we focus on their academics, especially understanding the criminal justice system as a whole, but I also really focus on their skills in the areas of um, public speaking and how they present themselves, their writing in particular. Because in this profession, we write uh, in a very clear and concise message, paint the picture of what you're trying to tell me in the least amount. We talk about the importance of their interpersonal skills, and be able, being able to interact with a diverse set of populations. And then finally, their leadership skills. This is what's needed in the profession. And so it's not only about academics. It's also about developing their professional skills. And you know, with regards to structure, um, you know, students in my class, they don't wear hats there's no hoods, there's obviously no phones, and and they take notes by hand. And they take notes by hand because that's what you will do uh, in the field when you respond to a scene. You'll take those notes, you'll transition them into a report, and that report turns into testimony. So it really is an art in a lot of ways of capturing exactly what happens and then transferring that over to reports and testimony. And then, you know, my vision for the future is really making this – like, the, like a, similar to an academy center, like learning by doing, putting them through practical exercises. They'll do two internships in the program, so they'll, they'll uh, get practical experience there. But I really believe that, uh, and it may go towards the retention issue and, and recruitment issue of we have a four-year window to, to develop uh, practitioners, regardless of whether they want to be police officers, uh, work in the cor- uh, area of courts and law, or corrections and supervision. Four years to do that, you know, police academies are six months. It is nearly not enough time to take a civilian recruit and turn them into a professional police officer. So I really feel like the universities can play a role in, in, in developing you know, the values and the skills to be good in whatever area they, they choose. And I think students have, they have a much wider range of opportunities than you or I did. Areas of Homeland Security, areas of cybersecurity, uh, with, with some of the uh, changes that will come, students that want to work with uh, individuals impacted by mental health issues or homelessness or the opiate crisis. These are going to be the partnerships that the future holds for policing uh, because we're asked to take on too much in society and we really need to uh, share those responsibilities with others. So my students are great. The support of the administration has been great. And our faculty beyond our uh, core faculty are all practitioners in the field. So students, I, I think, really enjoy that as well. So um, I'm encouraged by uh, where we are and, and where we're going. And um, I think we're going to produce a really strong individual that will work within the system.
1: I, I love the way um, colleges, in particular ours now, but are approaching it so much different than when you and I went through because it's going to slow down the attrition rate at academies because people are going to come in knowing what to expect, knowing why they're there, uh, versus, oh, okay, I'm in, and now what? And, you know, we have a certain attrition rate in every academy, and it's usually, well, I didn't know what I was getting into, or I, I thought it was something other than this. You get a good college background behind you, that's not it. And you, and you also, to go to what you said, Maybe you decide, I don't want to be the guy on the street that carries a gun. I want to be the social worker. I want to work in the mental health parts of things. And and they're prepared for that. And and you know, we're yelling now about how many, uh, the crisis in mental health and how we need more practitioners. And, and we do. Um, but there isn't an arena full of people that are unemployed that have that as a background that want to come that nobody wants to hire. We need to train people to get them ready for that. And training a social worker or a mental health worker also in, in the 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 field of law enforcement is a real positive because then we can all work together.
2: Yeah. And I'll tell you, Billy, my, uh, my students have been really responsive, responsive to kind of the actions. What's important is I I really try to take the time to explain why we do things and why they are important, but they've been, they've been uh, great to work with. And I think, um, they are looking for lots of different opportunities with, within the profession. And I think that's, you know, I think that's where the profession is moving for, for lots more partnerships. I, I, I've always believed that issues of, of crime are too big for the police alone, that we need to really have strong partnerships and, and quite frankly, hold people in other areas that do this work accountable for, for carrying out their functions within the neighborhoods. But, you know, my, my experience at Salve has been a really positive one. And I think one of the things that, Also makes us unique is that, you know, the mission of the college. Salve is a Catholic university that uh, was founded by Sisters of Mercy. You know, the mission of of the college is working for a world that is harmonious, just, and merciful. And I I think those issues of compassion and empathy become critical in police officers' ability to connect with people. But one of my colleagues, I think termed it best when he was describing mercy, he said, it's uh, entering into the chaos of others. And when I heard that, they said, "This is exactly what we do. We see people at their worst. We have to uh, build a relationship with them, and then we have to help them. And so so you know, a lots of expect is expected of us, but no one's making us be a police officer. Or no one ma- is making us be a lawyer. You know we have a passion. That's the word in this that's the word that applies to individuals that work in this profession. It's a passion because it is so
1: difficult. Perfectly said, and probably the perfect way to end uh, this episode. Um, Well, I can't thank you enough. You've brought so much to the table. um, And uh, let, let us be seen... Police officers, I mean, um, as the kind of human beings that we are. You're you're more than representative of of what we all strive to be. Um, And I hope a lot of people that listen to this take it from that. And I hope that if people are considering where do I want to go to college and for what, and they hear you speak, I'm sure Salve will be getting a lot more applications. So thank you.
2: Well, Thank you for having me. I enjoyed the conversation very much.
0: You've been listening to Powers on Policing with Bill Powers, Retired state police detective lieutenant, active educator, and published author. Please subscribe and download this podcast, available on all platforms, and we would greatly appreciate your ratings and reviews. Find out more at powersonpolicing.com.